Hello, and welcome to the CCW Safe podcast. I'm Rob High in Oklahoma City, joined by Philip Naiman, my partner on the other end of the universe. Where are you at, Phil? <laughs> Prescott today. Prescott. We're, this is the CCW Safe Studios in uh, Prescott, Arizona. Got a kid. Um, how was your week? Busy. Uh, you know, life is busy. Um, had my 30th anniversary, so got to got to celebrate that. And we went to Kauai, came back, and work's busy. And you know, lots of things are happening in the world. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there's actually some like world events happening. I forget exactly what it was. Um, some anyway, something in Europe. Something over I, there. It, it was uh, yeah, you know. Uh, something over there where if you don't change your prosecutor, I'm going to withhold. And son of a bee, three yeah. hours later, he was fired. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, yeah we've got that. Uh, I, I got to go this weekend to uh, Mass Ayub's class. Oh, wow. Um, fantastic. Absolutely high speed. Um, all classroom. It was 20 hours, 10 on Saturday, 10 on Sunday. Um, heat up your lunch, get back to your desk and keep going because we're working through. That um, sounds awesome. Where was that at? It, it was out at uh, Bill Armstrong's range. It's called Mead Hall Gun Range out in McLeod, Oklahoma. Bill's got an absolutely magnificent place out there. He's got a great classroom facility. Um, he's got some uh, uh, training deals that are, you can do inside that are like video kind of things. Um, he's got a, a good long range as well, uh, turning system, and he's just plugging along and doing this bit by bit and paying as he goes. And he is in a constant state of improvement. And it's really with the guys that he has coming in, giving instruction, he's he's turning that into one of the the premier little private ranges in in the southwest part of the the country. It's really really nice. So, um, how far out of that from Oklahoma City? It is about a 30, 35 minute drive for me. So, so it's it's an, not terrible. So it's an easy flight into Oklahoma City, thirty minutes out to the training area. It's not like you're landing and driving for four and a half hours. Well, and there's a huge, uh, there's a huge casino and hotel less than a mile away from the range. So pretty nice little setup and easy, easy access. It is just straight off of I-40. So it uh, doesn't take anything to get, get in and get out. Um, I think, I think Ms. Uh, Ayub, I think he's got something scheduled out here at Gunsight uh, in Prescott pretty, pretty quick. I think probably. he's got something up there. They were talking yeah. to me about that. Yeah. So I'd like to go see that too. He's super busy. He's got great information. Um, He's, how long has he been doing this? I remember he was on seven, Soldier of Fortune in like 1980, 82 time frame. 71, I think. He's 71? No, he started in 71. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's he's been at it for a minute. Um, <laughs> as, yeah. as much depth of knowledge as anybody I've ever got to sit under. And I've got to, I've got to study with some really, really high speed guys. It's only been 52 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he and you know over time he's he's got whether full-time or part-time a lot of it was part-time as well but he's got like 43 years law enforcement experience um he's uh, a premier expert on use of force and and uh use of firearms and things like that uh, really high speed shooter uh, i talked to some guys that shot next to him at TACCON last year, the year before, and they were like, really didn't expect much from him, but that guy can still operate a trigger. So uh, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I took 19 pages of notes on the first day and 15 pages of notes on the second day. Just, I didn't want to lose anything. I didn't want to miss anything. So it was really, really good. Uh, if you ever get a chance to, to sit in and, and take one of his courses, it's absolutely worth the time investment, I promise. So um, other, other things that are, that are popping up and you and I had discussed off air earlier uh, is the wave of states that are moving towards constitutional carry. Um, I'm absolutely okay with this. I'm, I'm not opposed at all. Um, my thing as somebody that would respond to your incident is I, I personally like that you have a little bit of vetting if you are a licensed carrier. I also know people that think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on some list and they're going to know that I've, I've got a gun and I don't want to do that. I'm okay with that too. The fact yeah. is if you, if you legally own your firearm, you're already on a list. Correct. You're already there. Correct. Um, some of the things for people that have been in that position that are just like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go through this class. I'm not going to get stuck on this list. I'm not going to do anything, but now I'm going to carry because I can't. Um, I, I really want you to take the time to do some study, do some research, take a class or two get out there and, and get plugged in. If you're going to carry a firearm, it is a tremendous responsibility. And Phil and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Um, open carry is, is one thing, but open carry makes me the very first target in the room. Um, I have no element of surprise. You have the right to do that. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But if you're going to open carry, if you're going to carry, period, get with people that have done this for a long time. Find out what works, what doesn't work. I don't want to do, number one, I'm never going to risk my life to a $100 firearm. I'm going to spend money. I'm going to get something that is a good working tool. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to put a $500 gun in a $17 holster. That $17 holster is going to get ripped away and taken and has no retention systems built into it or anything like that. Let's, let's talk about that real quick. So you need, you know, open carry is great, but you want to have open carry, not negligent carry. Yep. And there are companies in a safari land. I know Neil uh, um, Perkins, I, I've had him on my show many, many times to talk with him and, He's into safety. That's, you know, they don't make firearms, they make safety equipment, holsters, 
with retention. He said that all of his exterior holsters, all of them have a retention device. Now it's, it could be a thumb button. Uh, my favorite one I, I have of his has a, just to depress the thumb and it releases the gun. Uh, others have a little switch, little switch button where your uh, middle finger, as you grab the gun and lift it up, it's going to release it. None of them involve using your index finger, which I think is, as we've seen in some cases, a better idea than not, but you have, you have a retention. So what does that mean? It means if somebody pushes you, you fall down, the gun doesn't go spilling out across the concrete and come into play. It stays where it needs to be on your hip. So if you are going to carry outside of your pant line, I think you really need to have a holster with a retention device on it. I don't know why you wouldn't want one. I think the worst case would be something, you know, a universal holster that fits all and yet none um, holds your gun loosely or, or is nylon. And, you know, just you're asking for trouble. If you're going to have a firearm on your hip, realize that if you're a, if there's a bad guy in the room with nefarious intentions, he's either coming for your gun or he's coming for you first. So you, you need to be aware of that. You know, even on some of the even more higher price leather holsters. If you're getting a product that breaks down and you know gets pliable on you and and doesn't hold its form, you're you're sacrificing some safety there. Um, Phil mentioned Safari Land by name. Um, I'm a fan of Safari Land. When I was at the police academy uh, running recruits through. I would get makers all the time that would say, Hey, I want you to try my holster. I'd say, great. Send me three or four, three or four. Why do you need three or four? I said, cause I'm going to put them on my guys and we're going to go out into the gym and we're immediately going to see what we can do to defeat it and, and tear it up. You're asking me to put these on police officers. I need to make sure that it's going to do what you tell me it's going to do. Safari land was that one that always held up to the rigors and the tests that we put it through. And, and that's we, don't own, we don't own stock. We don't have any, uh, no, any affiliation no, with them. No affiliation at all. I'm just telling you that, that they did what they told me they would do. And it's a brand and a product that I trust. It is a safe product. Um, and like Phil was talking about, it does have different measures of, retention and security built into it. So even if I was caught unaware and somebody came up behind me and tried to pull it up really quick, if they don't know how to operate my holster, that gun's not going anywhere. I have, I have a second for reaction time to go into my retention, which is another side of this. If you're gonna carry a gun, you better, you better get a little bit of training on handgun retention. I used to think I, I have strong hands. I can do this. I can do that. I was a grappler until I got on the streets and I saw guys that were defensive tactics instructors that lost their gun in a fight. And that was such an eye opener for me because it can happen to anybody. It's like a fighter. Everybody, I don't care who you are. Everybody has an easy button. Um, everybody is susceptible to the lucky punch. It just... It's just something that exists in the world. Um, and, and as we've spoken many times before, action beats reaction. So 
you know, you're not walking around with your hand on your pistol all the time looking for a target or if you do your psycho, but you're not right. And, and your clients are definitely not that, that kind of a person. But the point is, if somebody's making a move against you, you're reacting. And if you don't have retention on your holster, that's one more thing that could go wrong. Uh, you know, maybe you get punched, you know, um, we, we see a lot of these videos, CCTV videos of maybe it's a gas station, maybe it's a grocery store where somebody is walking along and gets sucker punched from behind. I saw one yesterday. It was terrible. This guy's in like a Best Buy or I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I don't know the name of the store, but it was a big box store. And the guy's walking through and he just comes up behind some young kid who's got his earphones on, little backpack. He's playing with his phone and just sucker punches him from behind and knocks him out, steps over and watch out the door. Why did he do it? Because he could, because he's a thug. But that kid just got, you know, it's easy to get distracted. You hear a noise, you look up, something walks by, you look over here, you know, you're in a grocery store, they grab a can of Swanson's two pound beans and smack you across the back of the head. You've lost control. You didn't see it coming. And that's the problem with an ambush. It's an ambush you don't see coming. You yeah. have to react to it. And, and like you're saying, we, we would drive ourselves crazy. We would be mental if we were at that state of conscious alertness all of the time. So if, if I have a pistol on me, I like having that element of surprise. I like having it hidden. I like being the only one that knows I have it. Um, it's it gives just you a little warm, warm feeling in your heart. <laughs> it, it's something that you know, when, when, when I was still a, an officer, I was a detective and I had a partner and we're, we're moving around the streets in unmarked cars and just going to lunch. And all of a sudden some, something would happen and you'd get somebody that just goes crazy in traffic. And I, I just get out of your way. I can see you can have it. And my partner would always laugh and go, that, that guy has no earthy idea what's sitting beside him in this car. And they don't. They just don't. Um, I think that's something that's important for, for people carrying a firearm to, to realize as well. You never know what's in that other car. You don't ever know who's on the next aisle at the grocery store. You, so, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know somebody else's level of training or preparedness or even mental attitude at that point in time. And so it's always best to be kind, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is speak softly, carry a big stick, just carry it underneath your shirt. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you some of the most dangerous guys I've, I've met on the planet. You would never know it. You would absolutely never know the level of training and, and expertise and, ability to enact violence they, they don't even look the part well they do have a kind of a look about them though i'm thinking of several that have a very similar look and that look is kind of like i think they're wondering what your liver would taste like but anyway i don't know i just think it it that's so funny that you say that because you know our, our coo for ccw safe is, is stan campbell Stan was over the defensive tactics program for the, the police department I worked for. And as he promoted and moved on, I came in behind and I was the one that took his place in that. So 
goodness, for probably 16 years, that was our baby. That was our fingerprints all over that thing. And there were just, you know, we, we've got guys that walk, walk this earth that even stand, um, that we would have command staff call us and go, oh my goodness, you got Officer X over here that is in use of force after use of force after use of force. And we can't figure it out. You don't have that number of uses of force. And it was funny because neither one of us had conferred with the other, but we, can, we would always tell command that I can teach them the techniques. I can teach them how to do it. I can't teach them the look. You, you have it or you don't. And when you get into really rough neighborhoods where, where kids are growing up around violence all the time and gang stuff, yeah. they, they are better at reading people than most grown adults. They absolutely have more street savvy, more street sense. And they, they understand how to identify a predator. Those same ones that are become predators also understand when they're engaging with somebody that's not playing. And it's, and it's all in that look. So all of a sudden it, it kind of becomes kind of a, a standoff kind of thing. So it, there, there's so many things that go into self-defense. Um, and for a citizen carrier, I, I want everybody, if, you've, if you're just now getting into this and you're just learning how to do these things, evaluate and determine what your mission is. Because you're not, you're not the cop, you're not law enforcement. I did that for years and years. I don't do that anymore. I'm a civilian carrier. I just, I just carry for immediate protection if I have to have it. And it's only if I have to have it. Let's talk about uh, being an officer. Now, you put on your gear, you got your badge on, you got your car, you're on, right? You're, you have to have that level of preparedness, that level of you're, you're on. And like at the end of eight hours of that, you're exhausted. It, it, that kind of, so it's something I don't believe that a civilian can walk around with 24 hours a day. Plus a lot of times you have partners, you one guy's looking this way and the other guy's talking, looking this way. So you, you have each other's back covered when you're not engaged in something specifically. Um, as individuals, we typically don't have that. And I think that like the point you were making earlier, open carry, I'm glad we have the right to it. I think there's great places for it. Uh, I would never say not to have that right. I think it's important that you realize that with our rights come responsibilities if you're open carrying, you're like, hey, I've got, you know, I got my Smith & Wesson 629 strapped on here and two speed loaders across the front. Um, I, I'm a flag. I have this here. And you just need to realize that it could be a deterrent if somebody sees it. They don't want to go directly and confront that. That doesn't mean they may not set up an ambush, get your attention, you know, do the like the old con men would do. They'd have a, a girl walk by over here, take his attention on something, bump him, pick his pocket, right? Well, the same kind of thing happens. Or you see somebody 
I think a lot of the closed circuit TV incidents that we see happen at gas stations because uh, they can drive up, drive away. So they're, yeah. they're easy in, easy out. And, you know, you've got the gas, you're right-handed, your gun's on your right hip, you have a gas thing in your hand, you've shut it off so you can't even spray them with gas anymore. You're almost combat ineffective. So it's, it's probably a, a higher level of responsibility and awareness if you're open carrying that you've got to keep constant. And uh, the concealed carry, you know, if they don't know you have it, if you're not printing uh, severely, uh, if they don't know that you have it, then there's no reason for them to act this way. And it's probably better to be a wild card in a situation than the flagpole. Yeah. You know, Gary Eastridge did an article for us um, on training and talking about the different types of trainings that are available out there as, as a, a civilian gun owner and carrier and the pros and cons of all the different types. And you've got some people that got into shooting either as a hobby or hunting, or it was just a friend took them and they really liked it and they enjoyed it. And as they got deeper and deeper into it, they, they discovered that they, they had a, a pretty decent aptitude for it and the ability to impart that wisdom to a friend. And all of a sudden they wanna become an instructor. So they start going through some instructor level courses. Those people can, can take you, especially a ground zero new gun owner, they can really take you up to the next level. Uh, and then you've got the guys that are competition shooters and they're special. I mean, there's no question. If you, if you want to come in here and talk about a JJ Ricasa guys, guys like that, you know, and you're talking about best of the world or Julie Golub. Um, she's a shooter for Smith and Wesson. We'll have Julie on here coming up real soon. Uh, but the hours of preparation and drill and training that go into developing the things that they do, but they're, they're in the laboratory all the time. That's, that's the way I like to refer to it. They're, they're constantly testing and fine tuning and, and they can impart those things to other people as well. Uh, and then you've got, and, and I classify them differently because their missions are different, but military and law enforcement guys. And there's so many valuable lessons to be learned. I mean, you take a really high level competition shooter and the military recognizes their value. They bring those guys in to train their best troops. Um, law enforcement re recognizes that. Uh, we've we've cross-trained with military organizations. We've, we have uh, gone outside and gotten stuff from your competition guys. We've, we've got guys that shoot competition stuff. We have guys that have been at the highest level training wise within the military. Um, and I know that I used to help prepare uh, prior to deployments, some of the, the units that were, were going over in like a detention mission 
yeah, they're, they're going to work the jails and do things like that. And we, we would do a lot of hands-on things for those guys and bring them up to speed because you kind of have to get all of the different pieces to, to develop the very best soldier, the very best officer, the very best concealed carrier. Uh, you can be, you can make yourself really well-rounded. You don't want to dive into that little thing where you just get sucked into that one little hole. And that's just where you're at because, you know, Rob high is the guy that, that trains me for this. And that's the only one I trust. No, don't do that. Get, get out there and, and steal from everybody. It, I, I always love the Bruce Lee stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit under Phil Naiman. He's going to teach me all his stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to be able to make the determination that feels bigger and stronger and faster or whatever in this area, it works for him. That'll never work for me. I throw that out, but all of a sudden this little finesse thing over here, Ooh, yeah, that works really good. I'm going to hang on to that. I'm adding that to my toolbox. My number one move is to grab a two pound can of beans off the shelf. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 I open carry some Swanson's green giant beans on my <laughs> Lima beans. Oh, lima beans are deadly. They'll kill. I just, uh, lima beans, soybeans, that's death. Make me eat those, I'm gonna die. Um, Let's talk about the rules of engagement because you brought up some interesting things. You know, you've got guys who are uh, competition shooters, so they look at one thing. Uh, police officers, and I did some some little, little hanging out with some guys who were on the teams. Now their rules of engagement are a lot different than ours. Or as a police officers, as a police officer, you can't do what they do when they have to break in doors and and clear rooms and and settle the bad guys in a in a short fashion. Um, and so you have to understand what that as a civilian, which is who we're talking to here, our level of force has to be proportionate to the threat. And that's an important thing. Like you train with these high speed, these, these team guys, and they're like, boom, bam, 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 bam. you know, they're doing great stuff. It's great shooting. And that's the level they're at for the job they're performing. You're shopping at Safeway. That's not the job you're performing right? It, it's, it's a different level. Um, and so it just, we have to keep in mind, we're in America, we're citizens. These are our responsibilities. These are our rights. How does that, how does that play out? So our rules of engagement, I think need to be well understood before you ever strap on any kind of firearm. Um, the other thing we talked about, uh, competition shooters. Now I like to go and I like to shoot the competitions. I am not a great competition shooter. Um, I like to shoot with my carry gun. So I'll have like a SIG 365 uh, as opposed to an STI double stack yeah, or the Glock 19 or something just traditional. I, I like to do that because that's what I'm carrying. Um, and the other thing that I like about it that I try and do, which is different, um, I, I use every round as if it was training. So a lot of times well, you'll watch them. If you go to do an IDPA or IPSC or whatever, when you get to the stage, everybody does these walkthroughs. So they all imagine them shooting. They say, okay, I'm going to step here. I'm going to draw. I'm firing two, 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 two. Reload, move here. I've got two to the left, two to the right. Spinner, reload, move to the next window. So they go through this. They set themselves a program. Well, life isn't like that. And I'm not saying these guys aren't great shooters that wouldn't do well in a life situation, but 
I, I take a look at that. It's like, okay, I'm going to assess and shoot the targets as I come upon them. I'd rather do it cold. I'm not going to win. Okay. I, I'm not going to win the stage. I'm not going to win the, the match. I want to do this as practice for me. Somebody yes. else was kind enough to set up this entire thing for me to come out and practice for me for 20 bucks, dude, I'm not going to set up that many targets. So it's a great event. And I like to shoot it like that and, and realize you're not going to be the number one score because you don't have to pre-plan your shoots. You see the shoot them as you see them and, and work it that way. Even when we go skeet shooting, I start with a low gun. Everybody's like, why do you do that? It's like, well, because I don't quail hunt like this all the time. You know, I've got a gun cross here. Yes. I'm going to shoot, you know, less than if I had a perfect score with a mounted gun, but I, when I'm shooting skeet or sporting clays, I'm practicing the low mount to my shoulder. It's getting my face on the gun quicker than, than people who are used to that. So when we're in the field, man, I'm going to I do a little bit better than the other guys, but because you practice that way. And so anyway, so you go to a competition, you'll see the guys, they kind of from a conga line going through, it's kind of funny to watch, but um, use your training for yourself. You know, there's, there's, you go to a match with a hundred people, there are 10 guys who are competitive at the top edge. The, any of those 10 can win it. The rest of you are there to improve your own game. So, so know where you're at, know what you want to do with that stage. Hey, I want to practice. I want to get some of them, uh, let's say some of the first two targets are three feet away. You know what I need to do? I need to clear the holster fire from retention. You know, two, 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 as quick as I can. Cause that's great practice for that. Cause that's really what we're dealing with. And, you know, as opposed to quick draw, press, fire, aim, you know, pick, pick different things you want to work on on the stages and use the competition for training, I think is a great thing. Now, if you're going to win, if you're one of the top 10 guys, ignore everything I said, you already got it figured out. Everything you just said was just so perfect for that though. Um, what those guys do is choreographed. It, they already know. I'm, I'm moving to the left, I'm stepping here, I move three steps forward and, and three more to the left and I, and I gotta take a barricaded position and I know that I can't get my foot over this line or I'm gonna foul, so I have to get a little body lean going and I have to do this and I have to do that. It's choreographed. A gunfight is not choreographed. Um, Unless it's on John Wick. <laughs> those, those, are, those are choreographed? I have to ask Taryn. You just, you just <laughs> destroyed, you just destroyed that image for me. Um, but yeah, um, it is mission specific. Uh, a, a soldier has rules of engagement and when they're on that mission, they just carry out what the mission is. That's what they do. That's what they've been trained to do. That's what keeps keeps us safe in our little bubble in this side of the world. Law enforcement does that on the home front. They have obligations that they have to have to engage in at times. Not anything that anybody ever looks forward to. Nobody ever says on, on such and such date, such and such time, I want to get in a car pursuit. I only, I only chase, chase somebody in reaction to their action. I have to, I have to respond to what they've done. Same thing with a fight. 
I don't go out there and go, uh, there's a little Phil Naiman on the corner. I'm going to go punch him in the nose. Do that Phil, again? Come on, man. Phil has to do something that, that provokes and, and makes that where that is the response I have to come with. I think I do that a lot. <laughs> Same way with the shooting. Um, officers are responding to something. They're already behind the eight ball most of the time. Very rarely are, are they the initiator. You have some, some tactical things, some SWAT things that come up that, that are a little different. But again, that's a different mission than the patrol officer. They're, we were talking about things that are mission specific. So as a concealed carrier, and this is just something I want guys to think about on their own, do I want to think about what kind of gun am I carrying? I want something that's quality, that, that is functional, that, that I know is not going to fail me. Um, it is a piece of equipment, so there is always going to be some degree of the potential for failures. It, it's a machine. But do I want to go in and all of a sudden I've got a laser on this and this, this kind of light and I got a red dot and I got all this stuff. Why are you doing all that? And are you going are, are to feel comfortable sitting in front of a jury when they pull out exhibit one and all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, what is this guy doing? You know, he looks like he's out for RoboCop. Plus, it's awful hard to carry to find a, a side holster that has your bayonet coverage. So, you know, you may want to not have the bayonet on your pistol. I'm, I'm thinking, it just, especially if you're going appendix carry. Just, just food for thought. <laughs> just food for thought. Uh, appendix carry and your bayonet. Yeah. 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 One time. And birth control all at once. So back um, to the tourniquet. Back to, oh my goodness. I need a, I need a little one. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, we've, we've talked guns, we've talked holsters. Um, something a lot of people don't, don't give a lot of thought to is, is don't, don't put a $125 holster and a $500 gun and attach it to a plastic belt or something that's just little thin garbage piece of thing. Um, make sure that you get you a good quality uh, web belt or a good quality leather belt. Make sure it's a good leather belt. I mean, there's there's people out there very specifically that design and, and build these things for people that carry guns. Uh, Looper Leather Goods was one of my major suppliers when I was uh, buying things for the police academy for my recruits. I knew that there was quality in everything that he built for me, and it was and it was going to hold up to the rigors of of a cop being out on the street. Um, he makes he makes belts for civilians as well, really good stuff. Uh, Hank's belt makes really really good stuff. Um, the my favorite uh, nylon belt right now or web belt is a, a EDC belt company, and it it is my favorite uh soft belt that you know goes with a pair of jeans and it's and it's durable but it's comfortable it doesn't doesn't hurt my back and things like that and if you haven't carried a gun before and you haven't had those kind of things around your waist those are considerations that you need to keep in mind 
and the stiffer the belt is, the better it supports the gun, but it also, it doesn't dig into your side with, with the gun, the weight of the gun turns. So it's an important factor. Um, you know, I do a lot of hunting. So one of my favorite belts is I like the Ranger style belt, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I like the stiff ones. There's some thin ones, some cheap ones. You, you need to get the stiffer ones if you're going to carry. But what I like about it for hunting too, you talk about dual purpose, right? is you can take it off, make a loop and put it through the hawks and drag your animal back out. <laughs> so, you know, if you, exactly. Go around the antlers, whatever it is, you've got a drag strap right there and uh, it's multiple purpose. Uh, and make sure your pants fit. Otherwise you're going to do the drag and sag. Yeah, no, no, we don't have any of those problems. We don't do that. <laughs> I don't like that prison look on anybody. I'll just say that. No, I don't either. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just, there's so many things out there. Um, we, we're talking mission specific and it, am I going to carry an additional magazine? Uh, am I going to carry uh, a tourniquet? Am I going to carry any kind of uh, medical gear with me. And we've touched on all of these things. Um, I also think that if you are physically capable, you should, you should shock yourself and, and go plug yourself into a force on force course of some type, um, go hands-on because I promise you, you are going, you're going to perform at the level of your preparedness on your worst day um you're not gonna you know it, it, it's that one day out of a hundred where everything clicks don't expect that to be the day when you are involved in a self-defense incident nothing about those are, are clean or pretty or sterile uh they're ugly violence is is very ugly so um but uh if you, if you can't do a full force-on-force force thing, at least get somebody that has some knowledge in uh, handgun retention, and they're going to they're gonna teach you some holstered gun retention. They're going to teach you some drawn gun def- retention. Uh, if, if they're high-speed enough, they'll take, take you through some handgun disarming things. Take, take them to the wall, take them to the car. Yes, know. yes. In, in, the, in the environment where this is going to take place. You know, the, one of the best defensive tactics schools I ever did was for police corps. It was put on by the Department of Justice. And the entire course was done in full BDUs, uh, soft body armor vest, and a gun belt. Because that's what you carry cops always train you know they they train this stuff in in t-shirts and and shorts in the gym on the mat plus we've seen we've seen you guys legs and i think the long pants are better (laughs) um so you know this this particular course everything we learned we learned the technique on the mat and it was like okay now let's get into the laboratory let's go over here on the tile Let's go over here on the carpet. Let's take it outside. We're going to go do this in the grass. We're going to do it over here on the, on the parking lot because everything is different. Uh, we did it in elements, in rain and things like that. It, it was just, it's the environment that you're going to have to do this in. You know, people think, well, 
nothing changes. It's got cold outside. So I got my jacket on and my gloves. Have you shot with your gloves on? I'm going to tell you, your world just changed. Your trigger control is, is different. As soon as you put anything in between your finger and that, and that trigger, even if it's just a glove. So there's so many thoughts and considerations and things that you have to get into to even moving. Yeah. yeah. Even, so let's talk about cold weather, right? Um, it was 10 degrees in Prescott a couple of weeks ago. It's up here. And so you've got a big bulky jacket. So there's a couple of things. If you're concealed, you've got to clear a big bulky jacket. Well, guess what? You got the big jacket. Then there's a sweater because it was Christmas time over the pistol. So you got to go over up, you know, to get to it. There's a lot of, lot more things. What if you're shooting a rifle? Well, a lot of people, especially where I'm from, California, you know, you go to the gun store and you, you're dressed like this, a polo shirt, just a, a regular shirt, nothing big, uh, bulky wise, and you pick up your Remington 700, you're like, oh, this feels great. So you, you go to the range, you shoot it, it's, everything's fine. Then you go out to, in November to Colorado, and you've got your down jacket on, two shirts underneath that, and then your backpack straps across, and the elk comes out, and you throw up your gun, and you're like, they, they can't shoulder the rifle because they didn't anticipate some things. So yeah. uh, the condition, like you're saying, the, the condition that you're in is going to affect how you're going to operate. And there's ways, you know, you should have had your buttstock cut down a half an inch or an inch or something like that um, to mitigate that. Because if you're going to use it in November, you have to sacrifice its form in July. But anyway, yeah. that's um, it's again, it's getting a little bit more experience to know what you're dealing with. Uh, nobody's going to, I shouldn't say nobody, few people are going to say, okay, I'm in my winter garb. I'm carrying appendix. How does this work? Zip, lift. I mean, hey, it's, it's an effect. Maybe you want to do something on, under the shoulder if you got those big uh, whole, uh, jackets on. So you're under one layer of clothes, zip, and it's there, you know, different things. And, and again, every every single bit of that fits under what what that mission is at that time. Right. Um, I, have to, I have to recognize those things. If I'm going to carry this thing responsibly, that's part of my whole preparation. Um, I know that when the recruits that I was training would get out of the academy, they had the ability to, to move away from their issued sidearm. They could go to something else as long as it was on the approved list They'd have to go out and qualify with it. And you know, the range master would sign off on it. Um, and they had the ability to change their holsters. And the numbers of repetitions that they got with that sidearm and with that holster in the academy setting, in my opinion, needs to be duplicated before they make a switch. We didn't have anything in policy that, that made them do that. But I need you to, to have autonomic responses that I know this holster works like this. I've come out of it a thousand times. Um, I, I changed the firearm. I was probably two or three years into my career. And I, some friends of mine were involved yeah. in a shooting. And the, and the man was shot 17 times. That's when and you went to the auto mag? And lived. And yeah. And I just made up the, my mind right then that I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to bigger knockdown. So I went from a nine to a 45. Now, my brother and I, 
made a okay, trip. I have, to, I have to stop you right there. Yes. You talk about complaints from me on this show. Boy, yes. you just said you chose a 45 overnight. We're going to get the hate mail. Just it's, we are. That's it. Um, that you want to cause a, a, a S storm. It's nine does this 45 does this. And it's the gunfights happen. So just be aware. I don't no, cause I, this I, one. I fully understand. And I'm, and I'm telling you this, I, I wouldn't make that same decision today. Um, I have a much greater faith in, in the, in the, the uh, performance of duty ammo that's out there today. Um, big improvements, big improvements. So, so yes, I love a nine. I carry a nine. That's what, that's what I choose. That's what I go. Now with. you're backpedaling. Just go back to your but, 45 story. But before I made that change, my brother and I were, were driving to go see my grandparents in Tennessee. That's a 12 hour drive from our house. And I dry fired the whole trip just over and over and over, snapping my trigger in, getting, getting used to that gun, operating the system. Um, and I did the exact same thing when I went to a new holster. I just got thousands of reps before I ever put it on my duty belt and said, here I go. This is, this is the way I'm walking out into the world now. Um, I, I just felt I just had a, a great responsibility to make sure that I was absolutely as efficient and proficient with it as I possibly could be. Um, I, I see people that I know have not put in the work like that. You're not, I understand the mission is different, but you still have an obligation to be as responsible with, with a firearm as you possibly can be. Uh, it's, it's like, uh, we had had Matt and Angela Little on and, you know, Matt was really big on, he thought maybe you should jump out there and do some, some competition stuff, stretch yourself, press yourself, make yourself uncomfortable because it only prepares you to better survive a real live dangerous encounter when it happens. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. You know, you talked about uh, driving out there 12 hours dry firing a gun. Some people in the olden days said, oh, you shouldn't dry fire it. You're going to hurt it. It never made sense to me because it seems that a lot more happens to a gun when a, when a projectile actually goes off than just dry firing it. Right. So when, when a controlled explosion happens in your hand. Yeah. You know, I think that's worse than just uh, dry firing, but you know, that's, that's my assumption. But, um, Jason Mayashiro, when we have him on, he's really big on this, but he turned me on to a company called Dry Fire Mag, and they make magazines for Glocks, uh, like I have one for the 21 and the 1917, but it resets. So one of the problems, if you're going to be dry firing and you've got a striker fired pistol, or I think you were talking about a 1911, right? So every time you pull the trigger, you got to cycle it back, which is good for reps, but if you're practicing dry firing, it's a slow way to go. This dry fire mag, you insert it, you obviously clear your gun, you insert it in the place of its regular magazine after the gun's been cocked, and it resets your trigger. So instead of you having to, so it's got the right reset, it resets your trigger when you snap uh, on an empty chamber, and it continues to go, it won't fire as a real one, or at least it shouldn't, but um, that's a good way if you've got uh, a 17, a 19, or 21, or 
I guess even the smaller guns will work with it because you just have the magazine sticking out. But uh, that was really a, a neat thing because you can sit there and go for 20 minutes, 30. I mean, that's a lot of, your finger's going to get cramped after 10, but you could do a lot of dry firing, different scenarios and not have to worry about keep racking the gun and going to reset and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great opportunity to, to get that trigger rep uh, and not have to, to go through that whole reset, 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 reset. Um, you know, it, it's another thing that I, that I kind of get into is, is yes, it's expensive to shoot now. It, it's, you know, the, the, the price of ammunition has gone up. Everything about it is it's it's a costly hobby. But if I'm going to carry this thing, I need to make sure that I am 100% prepared to do it safely. And dry fire is one of those things that I don't think you can ever do enough of. Um, it's, it's something that there's so many parts of my basic shooting fundamentals that I can work on as I'm doing that, I, I get my proper grip, I can get my proper side alignment. Now, obviously, if when I'm rolling in the car, I'm not pointing out the window and pointing at cars going by and, and being a moron. I'm just I, I was gonna, gonna I didn't want to ask that. I wasn't sure of the answer. Guns pointed at the floor. Um, and nobody besides my brother knows I have a pistol in my hand. Um, but to, to know that trigger and to know where, where it breaks and, and to be kind of that in tune with, with it that I'm not going to have a negligent discharge. I, I you know, my, my primary safety is right there anyway, and I never put it on there unless I'm ready for this thing to, to, to go off. It's just, it just doesn't. Uh, same way if I'm dry firing. I don't just roll my finger on the trigger the whole time. I, I practice doing safe handling skills the whole time I'm doing it. So it, it, there's so many valuable pieces to that. And it, it's one of those that you see a lot of new shooters that, that get on the range and they start a trigger press and then all of a sudden they, they hesitate. And all of a sudden now it feels like, goodness gracious, it's a 25 pound trigger pull now. And it's not, it's just, I've, I've, instead of having a, a nice smooth stroke from start to finish, I've, I've paused it in the middle and, and all the other things are going off as well. You know, now I'm not breathing properly and all of a sudden my, my, you know, was my hands right. And, you know, get out of your head. They're shooting a, pulling a trigger is, is a super simple, not a big deal. And at the same time, if it's not done right, it's a really big deal. So that dry fire stuff is, is it, it's just invaluable. I think another thing, because there is a, a large cost to buying ammunition these days. Um, so how do you get the most practice, most practical practice with the less, least amount? I always see the newer shooters or the guys who grab their magazine, put 15 rounds in it, stand there and blast away till it's all empty again, right? Yes. Um, somebody who's training with a purpose might do something like have you know three mags across the front, with one bullet in each one and uh, draw, fire, drop, reload, rack, fire. I mean, so for every 
shot that you're taking, you've got like five or six different things that you're practicing doing. Yeah. Um, I think that that's, and plus you go through your ammunition a lot slower. <laughs> so if you did 50 rounds like that, you're done. You know, if you loaded your magazine 15 rounds and shot it three times, it's okay. Five minutes later, you're done. But if you did 50 rounds, one shot at a time, reloading, you know, picking up your mags and doing all everything like that, your competency level is going to grow far more than just shooting 50 rounds at the paper target. Right. Yeah. It, practice with a purpose. Um, one of the things we always did with, with rookies on the line is same thing. Well, you guys always, but you always tortured them with something else though. You always made them look this way and put the safety on their gun and they get it and the gun won't go off. I, I know you. <laughs> um, you know, we'd, we'd have them pull out three magazines, load them up three live rounds and one dummy round. So not just that. I mean, I, I've got to make those mandatory magazine changes through the course of this thing, but I also all of a sudden have to deal with a malfunction and I got to clear it and make it work. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've heard lots of people talk about this. Um, I'm, I kind of have mixed emotions on it. As, as a cop, I want my guys to know exactly where their holster is because they're always going to have to be looking for additional threats. So my incident is over and it's time to holster and I just holster and secure because I know where it's at. It's, it's a, it's a part of me now. Um, I also know how many reps it takes to get to that point. And I know a lot of concealed carriers do not. Um, but again, your mission is a little different. Um, now mass in his class this weekend, he was very adamant. He wants even concealed carriers. He wants civilian carriers to be able to, to holster without looking. Um, I've just, I've, I've, and I know he's, he's only been doing this for 50 something years. I, I get it. 51. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, but I also know how many, how many bad things occur with guys not paying attention to holstering their firearm. And I, I've been present when, when things have gone wrong on a, on a firing line, I've seen people that were, that were hit. Um, there's just nothing cool about a gunshot injury. Yeah. I've seen a lot of guys on the, on the competitions, you know, they draw, they fire, boom, 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 click. And they, it's like, the, the timer stopped. Why are we, you know, you your shirt could be hanging over that just, yes. I know the gun's cleared. It's just a really bad habit. And I see them literally throwing the gun into the, into yeah. their holsters. Um, and that's where something bad's going to happen. When I carry appendix, again, these are, this is Phil's phobias. Okay. In, in the, in the mind of Phil here, uh, I, I am very uncomfortable carrying a 1911 locked and cocked. I know it's safe. I get it. I don't like to do that. Um, the other thing is I will not reholster, uh, my inside the waistband, uh, pistol without taking the holster out, putting the gun in and then putting it away. That's the way I like to do it. Um, and I like, I like my appendages just where they are. And so I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. I, I don't care if it takes me a little extra second, but you know. You know, I've, I've watched over and over again, the, some, of the, some of the best instructors around that are very adamant about, you know, clear your stuff just as if I was drawing. 
but I, I clear again as I go to reholster and I look my gun into the holster. I, I absolutely visibly, I physically watch it go into the holster safely. Um, I've seen guys that want to go holster and they still got a finger on the trigger. Good God. If I am not engaged in the act of shooting, my finger is not on the trigger. So that's 10,000 rounds later though. I saw a video clip that came out of a gun store. This is maybe five or six years ago. It was a chief of police wearing a windbreaker and he took his gun out. The guy was putting a light on it or something. He wanted to reholster it, goes to reholster it. And the little um, cord from his uh, windbreaker, you know, got right where it shouldn't have gone. He holstered it, shot himself right there. And, um, you know, he's trying to blame the gun. It's like, no, no dingus. You did this. You didn't clear. You just assumed and loose clothing, winter clothing, that stuff happens. Uh, we also have our, our most famous uh, poster boy for gun control, the ATF agent in Florida. Yes. Okay. Sir limps along. I'm, um, I'm okay. Sorry. I'm, I'll mop that up later. It's okay. <laughs> It'll only hurt here in a minute. Right now, we're good. <laughs> oh. But what, what happened, right? So, yeah. Throwing his gun in his holster, a bang. Throwing a loaded gun in with his finger on the trigger and everything else he was doing wrong, but yeah. 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 Well, we want to thank everybody for joining in again with us. Um, we have got lots of great people coming up and a lot of a lot of things lined up for you that I think you're really going to enjoy. Uh, as I always say, we always welcome your questions, concerns, compliments, criticisms of Phil. Uh, none of me. Uh, I'm tender-hearted, uh, but you can always reach me direct. It's Rob at ccwsafe.com, and uh, I will get back to you with quickness. So we appreciate you guys so much. Uh, Phil, good, good show. We, I enjoyed it. Thank you. God um, bless. We will talk to you guys soon. Thank you guys.